Welcome to Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. I'm your host, Harry Drapush. Today, we're pleased to welcome Jason Franklin to the show. Jason is the Director of Sales and Marketing for TZA, a provider of labor management solutions for warehouses and other environments. Jason works with companies to improve labor productivity. And labor is probably the number one issue in fulfillment operations today. So we're really anxious to dive into the details of labor management with Jason. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. It's our pleasure. Well, tell you what, give us a brief rundown of how you ended up in your current role. Sure, sure. I started off as uh, actually by trade. I'm an electrical engineer. I have an electrical engineering degree from Georgia Tech, but really saw a lot of opportunity in supply chain. So I really do a lot. I've been doing industrial engineering my whole career. Right out of college, I joined a management consulting firm that goes by KSA, Kurt Salmon Associates. They recently were have been partnered with Accenture. And really, I did a lot of WMS implementations, sourcing implementations, go-to-market strategies and things like that. I eventually saw a fit with my skill set in an internal software group that was developing a labor management solution. Back then, it was called SiteView from Kurt Selman. I eventually rose to take over that group, the development, as well as the marketing and advertising and, and lead gen and things like that. And that company got purchased by Intelligrated, which then got purchased by Honeywell. So I became a product manager with Honeywell for a number of years and then was challenged with putting these programs out because I felt like we were just giving out software and not really defining a successful program. So seeing some opportunity, I joined TZA about a year ago because they did have that full service labor management. It allowed me to use my history and knowledge of the labor management area. It allowed me to really give benefit to customers that I could really get behind and feel like I was doing something right for them. So I've been excited to join them since then. And that's how I got here. Pretty interesting route to get here from electrical <laughs> engineering to uh, to logistics, but it really makes sense when you think about it. I, I come from a family of engineers. My brother is a, uh, a mechanical engineer, and my son is an electrical engineer and a software engineer. I just happen to be the black sheep of the family. So tell us, what is TZA's operational focus, specifically as it relates to fulfillment, and what challenges are customers coming to you with? So it's really about creating performance management programs, of which a labor management software is a portion of it. It's looking at how can we create a culture and supporting processes that enable your labor force to be most successful. So really putting them in a place where they can do what they need to do, achieve your goals, affect the bottom line. But how do you do that without the visibility and management techniques that we provide? That's really what where our story is. And providing that enhanced performance visibility, motivational tools, ways to better plan and execute and incent your workforce. It allows your facility to be let, uh, ready for the ups and downs of supply chain that we're having when we're having challenges getting people, different disruptions as far as material, again, labor challenges, all those things. If you've got these management techniques in place, ways to incent them, building a culture that people want to work for you, it enables you to ride those through much easier and still you know, stay with your benefits that you've been getting through your defined processes, defined goals, and ways to impact overall change. Yeah, interesting. I've got a 40-plus year career in logistics. And uh, one of the biggest challenges, obviously, is labor. And then the second biggest challenge is measuring labor, right? 
I started out in the business before computers were on every desk. In fact, before people even thought about having a computer anywhere. And yes, the challenge is getting the numbers for the labor and getting them right and making them meaningful. So let me ask you this. What are the biggest mistakes that companies are making as it relates to labor productivity? And can you give us any examples? Yeah. And I I think right now, touching back on something that you mentioned, sort of, I think I didn't address was what are the challenges that people are running into most often today? And what we're hearing today from, you know, from TZA standpoint is turnover, turnover, turnover. And turnover impacts you because not only does it drive your performance down because you're using that losing that tribal knowledge of individuals it puts you in this constant cycle of recruiting training onboarding that pulls people away from understanding that labor force your continuous improvement type of opportunities and it really just drags the overall facility down which then that impacts low performance and then there's a sort of a triad right you've got your low performance you have to then use more overtime because you're not performing the way you want it to be. And then that also drives in. So your low performance is driving your overtime. Your overtime gets up. It drives your turnover because people don't want to work so much overtime. So there's this cycle that you can get into if you're not managing properly. And again, that that sort of trifecta all impact themselves. So what we want to do is define a culture where you're an employer of choice, where people want to work for you. And that's what we do with these labor management programs is by providing fair work that they can, uh, you know, they can, they can get behind and understand that they can achieve clear goals. They know exactly what they need to do to be successful. Those types of things drive into people wanting to work there and staying a long time. And then you're not get, you're getting out of that cycle of recruiting, onboarding and things that I mentioned. Yeah, it's uh, interesting about the turnover, right? It's just impactful in so many ways. It's a morale killer. You, every every week you turn around, you're working next to someone new. You've right. been with the organization a little while and you start to think, gee, I, why am I here? Everybody else is turning over. For years and years, we've constantly looked at programs that drive turnover down. We've added something to the mix of late that says, maybe we can't drive it down to the levels we'd really love to turn it down. How do we learn to live with it? Maybe this is the new trend for young people coming in. Maybe no matter what you do for them, maybe you can prolong their stay, but eventually they get wanderlust, whatever it may be. And then how do we live with it? How do we get it to the point where we can put new people in here and shorten the learning curve? That's about having clear standard operating procedures. It's about having labor planning. So you have the right size. You have the right person in the right seat at the right time. These things are, uh, are techniques that we see can impact that turnover and help you get, up, get out of that cycle that I talked about. Great point. We find certainly one of the things that drives turnover is when people are uneasy about their job. They're not quite sure. They fully understand it. I think you make a great point with standard operating procedures, training them, teaching them. I think today we've gotten into a lot of visuals for, for our pickers and packers, right? Now, now they're going out with a PDA that can pictorially show them what it is they have to pick besides having 14, 15 digit SKU numbers that they're trying to pick to. Now they've at least got a picture that says, okay, this is what it should look like. And I I think all those things are done, not just to make it from our perspective, not just to make them more productive, but to make them more comfortable with the job uh, that they're doing the right job. Because I think the last thing for any of us, right? We don't want to be told, hey, you're not cutting it. We've got to let you go. 
And that hastens a lot of turnover because we want to beat our employer to the punch. If I'm not feeling comfortable, I don't want to wait around to be fired. There's plenty of jobs out there. So I, I just may initiate that, right, if I'm not comfortable. And so we find a lot of these pictorials, whether they're on a personal device or whether they're just pictures next to the Packer station or even pictures next to the item that you should be picking, this is it, match it up, make it a little bit easier. Nine out of 10 of your labor resources want to perform well. And it's leadership's job to make sure that we're greasing the skid so that they know exactly what, you know, they can just slide right down the path and get to that successful goal because we need to make sure that they don't have any barriers in that, not knowing what they need to be doing, not understanding how what they do impacts the bottom line, making sure that they have the right tools and your supervisors and managers also have the right tools to engage with them because engagement is also a huge point of that that I think we haven't brought up. It's like making... People understand that, hey, they're part of a larger whole, like they're part of a larger group that is doing things, impacting overall customers and things like that. They need to have that feeling. They need to have those touch points. And I think with, you know, like how things are changing with social media, the feedback you get with likes and dislikes and all that type of thing, it's just a different type of concept of the need to say, hey, look, we like what you're doing. Here's two things you're doing right. Here's one thing that you can improve approaching them the right way, engaging with them to help them continuously improve, I think is is also a key point. Great point. What technology do you recommend companies have in place to maximize throughput in the warehouse? So there's a couple different sort of level setting things that you need. I'd love to just jump in and say, hey, you need an LMS. But really what you need is a WMS first or some sort of ERP or some sort of warehouse execution system if you're using automation. You've got to have a defined, repeatable process before you could optimize that process for your labor individuals. So you've got to have a WMS that obviously knows where your inventory is and then has some sort of order fulfillment type processes that allow you to pick, pack, and ship those things. Once you've got that and you're scanning, you now have the information that you could use to populate and feed a LMS and then optimize those processes, track those processes, use them for labor planning, use them for coaching. But really, you know, it starts with having a, a solid WMS, understanding those processes so then that our group can come in and help you, again, lean out those processes using some Six Sigma type techniques document those processes so individuals can know exactly what's expected of them and what the pace they should be doing it at. And, you know, the fact that the work is achievable, the fact that, you know, you have support, all that goes into a labor management program to help throughput. But initially you need that data capture through scanning and whatnot that a WMS or ERP is going to provide. Jason, that's, that's a great point. My first warehousing job out of transportation was 1989. And it was a dedicated environment for a Fortune 10 company. We got the project as a third-party provider because we pretty much told the customer, hey, we're turnkey. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of everything. And it was 20,000 SKUs of electrical supply. So pretty intense. Project was failing. I got there six months after startup and nothing was being measured. It was just helter-skelter, right? A lot of people... So we started to measure, to your point, we started in a manual environment. We started to write processes. We did all the things that you just mentioned. Kind of interesting, we asked the, we asked the supervision in there as we started to get into a measurement uh, protocol, rate the people that you've been managing, who you think is going to come out on top. There isn't a supervisor that I had. There were five of them in the building at the time that got it right. In fact, they were pretty much inverse of what they thought. So sometimes what you see as productivity is not. You have to measure it. 
with the start of the labor management program, we cut our labor force by 50% and doubled the volume that we put through the building in six months. That's the power of doing what you just advocated there. Absolutely, because there's other things like besides performance, there's things like utilization that the tool allows you to track. And one of the things that we generally find when we come in is when we start tracking utilization, they're usually at 50% or so in between 45 and 55% of using the, the time. If they're in there eight hours, they're working on direct labor activities, about four of them. With a labor management program, we generally push that up to like 75, 80%. And that's kind of one of the unsung heroes of a labor management program is that utilization. Because if you think about it, by getting us from 50 to 75, we basically put another half of those labor resources back in by just providing visibility to their activities, making sure that they're getting work assigned to them in a good way. And then we, you know, defining that full heel to toe visibility for other performance improvement opportunities. That's a great point. Associates come to work and want to do a good job and they want to be productive. My first operations job in a trucking terminal with Teamsters, I was a work the dock and I was very, very green and very, very new. And I had what was called combination dock men. So they worked the trailers, they worked the product, they'd load it, and then they'd go deliver it. So they were called combination men. And I remember one time I set up the routes, had them do it, and I had a rundown on the dock. And it happened to be a a mid-senior guy, probably about 15 years in the business. And I said, how you have to backstrip your trailer? I made a mistake. And he looked at me and I said, what's the problem? The rate of pay is the rate of pay, right? You're making 18 bucks an hour, whether I have you unload it and load the same trailer all day long. What difference does it make to you, right? And he says, no, I want to feel like I'm getting something done here too. It's not just about the rate of pay. And a bell went off. I mean, for me, right, here's a union fella telling me, I want to make an impact. I want to make progress. It's not just about me being chattel or just being told what to do over the course of a day. I want to feel like I'm doing the right thing and getting stuff done. You know, you're obviously a strong proponent for the use of software to manage productivity, but you also talk about the underrated importance of culture. You know, I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah. So culture, I think, is, again, one of the things that we drive through the different things that we talked about, being able to incent people, engage people. Culture is much greater impact than I think people actually believe. They feel like it can pay them enough wage and that's going to be, you know, that's going to be enough. But I'll give you an example. We're working with a customer in recent times down in Miami. They've got 300 people, direct labor resources. They've got less than 2% turnover and they pay $14 an hour. That story doesn't add up for most people that have been into the, in, in the industry. It's like, how could they be paying that little and still retaining people because I'm hearing 20, 22, that type of wage as far as warehouse workers, especially down in Miami, a high cost of living type of place. How are they doing that? And it's the family culture that they drove. They're driving individual engagement. They're getting feedback from them on processes and they're helping improve the process. And they're also engaging. And what they're really looking to us for is how they can set up a gain sharing operation so that they can start sharing some of this throughput that these individuals are giving to the, given to the company with their dedication. So they don't have high wages. They've got low turnover. What is it that they're doing? They're having group dinners. They're having pizza parties. They're having engagement opportunities outside of work on the weekends, fairs and parties and things like that. So they really feel like they're all working towards a common goal. And while not everyone could get to where this group can get is, is, 
there are opportunities to drive engagement, to keep these people, to keep them happy, to feel like, again, they're part of something bigger so that when someone says, hey, we've got a, another job that pays a dollar an hour extra, they're like, no, thank you. I really enjoy what we've got going on here. And that's the way this group is able to keep it. So I think culture being able to feel like they care about me, the company itself cares about me, is invested in me and wants me to succeed. That goes a long way because human nature, like I said, I feel like most people want to be part of something bigger, want to feel like they're driving an impact and they want to perform. So by giving them the platform that allows them to do this by clear goals, expectations that they can catch, you know, that they can actually achieve. And then in other words, engagement and sometimes incentives and things like that, all that goes to really building a workforce where you're an employer of choice and you don't have to keep raising wages to keep everyone around. And then it gets you upside down on your cost standpoint from a labor point. Boy, we, you know, we always did round tables monthly with the associates. We would do one round table a week with, so we'd get four in a month to keep the group a little bit smaller, just have lunch with the associates, talk to them. We'd have the monthly, you know, the employee of the month, but mostly it was kind of a one hour recognition time, who did what. And we really had the associates run it. I mean, to your point, you really want associates to be invested in the business, to really feel a part of it. It's not just that we're telling them what to do, because really at the end of the day, they really, really know how to do it better than we do. Absolutely. Right. If you tap into that and listen to them and make them feel like they're really contributing and part of it, you know, then it's just really unlimited. We're speaking with Jason Franklin, who's the director of sales and marketing for TZA. Jason, can you kind of walk us through a typical assignment for TZA? You know, what does that look like? Well, generally get in contact with a customer that's having one of these major challenges are having high turnover. They don't have visibility of performance. Maybe they need better labor planning because they don't have enough people. So they have to cross train people and get them in different areas. They kind of move, follow the product around. So they're having some sort of challenge with their labor or their cost. So they feel like there's an opportunity. Once we've agreed to a project, our first step is to come in, do an audit and define a baseline. Where are we at currently and where do we feel like we can go? So we can define a common language between the two partners to say that we can share our gains to leadership, that we can discuss, are we on track? Defining that common sort of saving language is the first thing that we want to do to make sure that we're, we're going to be successful in the end. Then we start the integration process because that can take a little bit of time, but really it's not a large pull. It's all about just sort of defining what's our integration approach. So how are we going to pull information, the activities or assignments that individuals are going to get from the ERP or WMS? How are we going to pull that across in a meaningful way with the right levels of buckets, if you will, for the process that we can then track them from the system? After we've done that, we'll come in and we start optimizing the existing process, generally through lean events. And a lean event is where we're going to interact, just like what you mentioned a second ago. We're going to basically interact with the individuals that are doing it because they're doing it the best. And these lean events are really actually really interesting because they uncover things that are, you know, like a lot of times, I'll give an example. I've been to a lean event where they were saying, hey, there's this, you know, side process where you have to pull out these sheets and fill out this form and then process that form. And why does all that happen? And they'll say, oh, eight years ago, we missed a shipment. And now we started this process to fill this sheet out so we'd never miss that shipment again. And it was like, well, well, why did you miss the shipment? Oh, because our systems were integrated. Are they still not integrated? No, they're integrated now. 
So this is an unnecessary process that's been going on for five years and it adds three minutes to every time we do this closeout process and you do this closeout process hundreds of times a day. Let's pull that out. Those are the things that we find during that, those, those lean type of processes. And again, it's because we're pulling in the top pickers, the sort of the champions, the leaders of the facility from a resource standpoint, bringing them in and letting them give their knowledge because they're doing it thousands of times a day. And that really, we, we're generally dropping two to four to you know six percent off each process, which you know when you're doing that process thousands of times a day adds up to real huge time savings. So we'll lean out the processes because you don't want to define things like engineered standards, which are those goals that we're looking for. You don't want to do that on a, on a process that's unoptimized. That's not right. You know what I mean? It doesn't have all the waste taken out of it. So we take out that waste from those processes. And then we start a engineered labor standards type of project where we're defining standards. We generally use most or a time study, depending on what the customer's familiar with. And then that helps us define what are the goals, really accurate goals for those individuals. So now that we can use that information, it's got like two to four percent variance. So now we can do things like layer labor planning onto it and be very accurate and predictable about how we use our labor and where we use our labor. We can then do things like define a gain sharing program. If you do 10 hours of work in eight hours, I'm going to give you an hour back in pay and then I'll keep an hour pay. So now you got that. $20 bonus that day, things like that and those programs. So we'll, we'll set those define are their incentive configurations that we want if we're going to go that far to an incentive program. And then after that's all set, we go into our change management and training because this is ultimately a people project. I mean, we're putting in technology, but it's really about arming your supervisors with the right way to interact with your resources. And a lot of times those supervisors don't get this training. They're generally the best pickers that got elevate it to be a supervisor, right? And didn't necessarily have the training they needed to really help someone understand what they could be doing better in a, in a way that they could absorb it and take it and things like that. So we do that type of training to make sure that people not only understand how to use the system, but how you use the data that comes out of the system to a benefit to the group that they're managing. And then we'll do a soft go live where we, you know, do a, a go live, basically pretend go live to see if there's any issues that we could have because Generally, you get one chance with the resources to make it right. You know, you want to make sure that. So we do a soft go live and then we'll do a full go live and turn over to our customer success team, which then throughout the overall program helps them understand, hey, here's some other opportunities that you can potentially be using, how you can expand the program, expand the use of the tool, or maybe grow into something like incentives if they didn't do that from the start. Wow, that's uh, you've taken that program and you've done a great job of encapsulating that in about two minutes of really what like. I know it starts with the baseline when you start to your point, I think when you start to get everybody involved in it and everybody is starting to look forward to what those new numbers look like as you've gone through iterations. And then people start to adapt, take the project on themselves, start to look for the numbers. Are they posted yet? How am I doing? I mean, people are competitive by nature. And I think once you start to get that interaction between everybody, yeah, great things again can happen. Productivity improves. But, you know, as you're, as you're speaking, what comes to mind is people's morale starts to go up. Hey, yes. I remember my first interaction. We're making progress here. We're getting somewhere. We're not sitting in the building for 12, 13 hours every day trying to get the job done. We're getting the job done in much, much less time, getting more done. And we don't even feel like we're working as hard because it's so much smoother and it goes so much better. Agree 100% on everything you said. So tell us about Fung and what lessons his story offers our listeners. 
<laughs> yes. So Fong was really interesting, man. It was just sort of an eye-opening. It was, I was honestly early in my career. And just to sort of recapsulate the story, I, I was I was working, I was a junior consultant. We were working on a program where we were working with a chicken, uh, chicken processing plant, I guess is the best way to say it. So, you know, chickens come in on one side and nuggets come out the other, basically. <laughs> but we come in and there was different areas and whatnot. And I was looking through with their labor management program. We were just doing a health checkup. And we were looking through some different things. And I saw one number that was extraordinarily high. You know, everyone's performing at 90%, 95%. And there was someone just at 220%. And I was like, whoa, we might have a data issue here. Let's go check the data issue. And I look it up and I, I say, there's a guy, Fong. And they're like, ah, you got to come see Fong. That's the data's right. They lead us into this area. And at the time they had manually crack eggs because the machinery to crack it was either, I can't remember if it was prohibitively expensive or if it didn't actually exist. I just can't remember. But they had people cracking eggs. So you walk in and there's a person grabbing and cracking, you know, grabbing, grabbing, cracking, cracking and everything. And it's like, oh, okay, that, you know, that looks, you know, they had a decent pace and everything. Well, we get over to this corner and I see Fong. And this guy's grabbing four eggs where everyone else is grabbing two. He's cracking them. He didn't even notice I was there. I don't think he ever even saw that I was there. He's just bang, 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 bang. And we were like, wow. They're like, yeah, it's, it's a sight to behold. Now, the, the lesson learned was no one could keep up with Fong. He was just had this dexterity and this commitment that no one could keep up with. But he did prove that you could reach with both arms and crack at once. So he had a huge process improvement that didn't quite double their performance, but did add a good 30% onto their performance because they were grabbing one and cracking it in with one arm. And he showed that it's possible to do two at the same time. And, and that was what impacted the SOP. So we went back, changed the SOP, and we got everyone up. We had to redo the standard because we got everyone up a little bit. For that area, it upped the throughput of that area at like 20, 25%. That's a phenomenal story. You know, our listeners value really practical advice that they can put to use immediately. Part of listening to these podcasts is what can I jump into as quickly as possible? Any specific action steps you would recommend as it relates to getting the most out of the warehouse associates? Sure. So I always go back to this, that old adage, you can't manage what you don't measure. Get good KPIs that you can consistently measure and then track those and impact those. So maybe it starts off, maybe you don't have an LMS. Maybe you can start looking at cycle time directly from your WMS that gives you a direction and maybe it doesn't give you the ability to impact it, but it starts giving you to understand what can I get my arms around? How big is the issue? So then you can understand what you should invest in and what timeline you can invest in and when it's going to make the most sense. So my advice is whatever KPIs you can consistently get that are going to be accurate, that you're confident they're going to be accurate, start collecting those as soon as possible. Use those to start driving trends and make a data-driven decision for your business. Don't go by gut. You've got so much information in the warehouse. I mean, if you just even just have a WMS, you've got a huge amount of information. Use that information to your advantage. It's telling a story that's going to help drive you towards more success. Great advice. Let me ask you some questions about Jason now. Tell me about your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Good question. So I think it's about, and I'll say a phrase that I don't even know if it's a phrase and I'll explain. It's leading verbally. What I mean by that is not giving direct reports or whoever is looking to you as a leadership, giving them templates, examples, just explaining something to them. Some of the things that I was, I know in the I feel like 
sometimes you can lean on your communication skills. And that's one of my high points. So I would explain to each of my people exactly what I wanted multiple times. Well, then let them go create something. We come back and I've got five different viewpoints of what I explained. So now I've got to rationalize those five. I got to spend time maybe trying to get a square peg into a round hole. And then it ends up on the final message being discombobulated, not really all together. But what I've learned since then is if I can explain what I'm looking for, document it, fill out the first one and give that to them so they have a guide as to what I'm looking for, I spend a whole lot less cycles on the end pulling that get together in the message to the customer and our message to leadership, whoever we're delivering it to. It just shortens that cycle and all of us feel like we accomplished something because now it's not like I'm looking back at one person and choosing one of the five type of, thing. oh, I think this person did it the most correct. Let's ever all work on this version of it. I think that helps people understand. And again, it's the same thing we've been talking about, it. clear goals, aligning them to goals. That's always going to help you be successful. Thinking back of the numerous failures that I've had, and I've had a fair amount in my 40-year career, the common theme is communications or poor communications. And I remember we, were, we took on a new assignment down in uh, Georgia. And we were turning an operation from kind of an individual hub operation to one now a network hub. And so uh, the company went crazy where we used to receive two to three rail cars a day. It was now 20 to 25 a day. So, you know, they kind of uncoupled purchasing from the third party and they sold it internally that we're going to outsource our warehousing operations to a third party. So you no longer have to be inhibited. You can go out and get the best buys you can get make the best deals with your suppliers and these people are going to handle it. Well, three rail cars a day went to 20. We were no way prepared to do it. We'd worked 40 straight days without a day off. Memorial Day was coming up. And I remember I gave the team Memorial Day off. I don't know if they would have come in anyway. And my failure was I didn't communicate that well to the customer and their team. And so that was a little bit of a surprise. But you're right. I think you know, you start to get around it and uh, you, you really get around communications. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? It's not necessarily business advice, but I think it's around mental health that I think impacts business and whatnot. You know, we're just in a, a crazy cycle now and in, in, in careers and whatnot, just sort of, I look at my calendar and it's solid blue with meetings. So one of the best things that I've heard recently is all again about mental health. It's about living in the moment and understanding what the moment feels like, because thinking about what's coming up, what's going to be in the future, living in the future, that's where anxiety comes from, okay? So think ruminating on things that have happened in the past, that's where depression comes from. Where you want to be is right here in the middle. What's happening now? I'm having a great conversation with Harry. No matter what's coming up in the future or what's happened in the past, I'm having a great conversation with you right now. And that's what I need to focus on because that's the only thing that's real right now. The rest is all in my head. That's some of the best advice that I've had recently that I've been trying to get out to you know friends that I haven't talked to in a while. When I get back on the phone with them, I'm like, hey, listen, I want to leave you with one thing. Stay in the moment. Oh. Thinking about the future's anxiety, the past is depression. Stay in the moment. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, 
Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at AmwareFulfillment.com. Unfortunately, at the risk of being called a sexist, I'm going to use a sports metaphor, and sports is great for being in the moment, right? Yesterday was do or die for the Yankees, game four in their playoff series. And the coach says, I don't know if I'm going to make it to a game five, and I can't worry about game five. I've got to win game four, and then I'll worry about game five. And you're you're absolutely right. You got to take care of what's in the moment. Jason, where, where, where can people go to find out more about you and TZA? So it's pretty simple. We're at TZA.com. We've got blogs there that explain some of the, our viewpoints of how we look at it. It's got some understanding about the tools and our programs. And through that, you could reach our groups that can help you with audits, with demos, and we can show you how people can save anywhere from 8 to 20% off their labor costs by implementing some of these programs that I've been talking about today. Great. Jason, It's uh, I can't believe the time's gone by. It's been a real it pleasure. Go by quick. we got to do this again. I would love to. 